morning in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 7, or 2 through 6, excuse me. It's printed for you uh, in the ESV translation in your bulletin. And boys and girls, make sure you have your children's bulletin. You have your own translation in there of the text. You can follow along. You have a place you can ask questions as well, uh, either for your parents or for me or Pastor John Mark. And if you ask us questions, please put your name on those so we know who to answer uh, back. And before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him together in prayer. You know, Father God, as we come before your word this morning, we do ask that you would feed us richly. Open our hearts that we might see Christ, that we might be exposed to your gospel, and that where we need your help and your grace, that we might be changed. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out this morning by... uh, showing you a picture of a World War II vet, or I guess he's not a vet, but it's, it's, it's taking place during World War II. This, I don't know if you can see that or not, is a picture taken of a man named Vernon Tott. It's taken in Germany at a crossroads. Vernon here quit high school, and he joined the military in early 1942, uh, within months of Pearl Harbor, as many people his age did. He was part of the 84th Infantry Division, and during The Battle of the Bulge, his division lost a third of its troops. It was was pretty difficult. This picture is taken about spring of 1945, in April of 1945, as they're on their way to Hanover, Germany, to try to take that city. His squad, and he took a, a, a path this way to go parallel to the main body of their force, and they stumbled onto what we now know was the Alum slave labor camp. This was not a concentration camp. This was like a step down, so to speak, from a concentration camp. This was a slave labor camp, still somewhere you don't want to go. His squad and him were confused. They'd heard rumors about these camps, but they, they, they'd never actually found one before. The Soviets by this time had actually found and liberated Auschwitz, but news of it had not yet reached the other allies. And they, so they didn't know about concentration camps, and the prisoners in the camps were confused because the guards had left because they knew the Americans were coming. And so they didn't know, are these like murderer prisoners put in jail in Germany? And what do you have to do to be put in jail in Nazi Germany? And are, are these violent offenders? Who are these people? And so they couldn't communicate, and there was some stress there. And so all of a sudden, Vernon himself pulls out a baseball. And the prisoners like erupted with joy. So they're going, Americans, Americans, Americans. And so they were able to figure out what's going on. They got the commanders on the line. And so they open up the gates and let these prisoners out. And over the next 90 days, the Allies all across this part of Europe, the, the Soviets, the Brits, the Canadians, the Americans, it seemed like almost every two weeks a new concentration camp or slave camp was found and liberated over the course of this spring. When HBO's series, Band of Brothers, portrayed this, they also added in another aspect that is equally as important. The soldiers opened up the gates and shouted, you're free, come on out. But then the commanders came and said, we've got to contain these people. They're sick, they're malnourished. If we let them go, they'll die. The best way to do it is to put them back. And so all of a sudden, these American forces forcibly corralled all these prisoners back into the camps. 
and there was confusion, there was anger, they didn't understand, but they gave them doctors, they gave them food, and they nursed them back to health and said, we want to free you, but we also want to restore to you the life you had. And if we just set you free and let you die in the woods, that's not freedom. In order to have your true freedom, you have to have health and restoration. So we're going to nurse you back and then let you have your freedom to exploit. Because that's what they needed to do to be completely restored. They needed freedom, restoration, and health. And what I want to show you today from this Isaiah passage is that's what Christmas is about for the human race. It's about freedom. It's about restoration, and it's about health. So we're in the book of Isaiah this morning. We were in 1 Kings last week. At this point in in, uh, Israel's history, Israel was between two powerful nations, Assyria in modern-day Iraq, kind of to the north and to the east, and then Egypt in North Africa. And against Isaiah's advice, the king in Jerusalem decided to align himself with Assyria and get help with them against Egypt. And so Assyria came and they gobbled up the northern part of Israel, ceased to exist, carried them off, gone. And then instead of leaving, what this superpower did was enforce a harsh treaty on the rest of Israel. Made them pay heavy tribute. And they went from being prosperous and free to being in bondage to the Assyrians. They were enslaved to a power they had invited in. And into that sadness, into that bondage, Isaiah brings this message of liberation and hope. Isaiah sees the coming of God himself to rule his people. And it's that burst of hope that we look at today. So if you would, look with me please at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. This is God's word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God's word. So what we're going to see here this morning, keeping with our Advent theme, is that Christmas is bigger than our whole world because God came down in Jesus Christ to rescue us, to set us free from the power, from the dominion, from the rule and the slavery to sin and death, to restore us to himself, to restore us to freedom, to restore us to health. I want to give you a kind of one-sentence definition of what we're going to look at today. You can write this down, boys and girls, in your bulletin, or parents, you can remember this and talk about it over lunch when you're discussing the sermon, hopefully. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Into your darkness, Jesus brings the healing light of joy and freedom. See, Christmas is bigger than our whole world because Jesus brings joy, Jesus brings freedom, and Jesus brings health to the needy, and to the oppressed. And so let's look at that together. So the people in Isaiah's day, he tells us here in verse 2, were walking in darkness. 
In the context of verse of chapter 8, right before this, it's very clear that that darkness he's talking about is the looming threat of Assyria. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's also a lack of instruction, of a lack of God's guidance, a lack of God's law, to use an old-fashioned word that we would use. The leaders of Israel and the people were pretty much looking everywhere they could for help except to God's instructions, to God's prophets, and to God's revealed will. And as they lived in that darkness, as they lived in this idea, well, God has nothing to say to us in our present situation. You know, this is national, international politics. Of course, God has nothing to do with that. We've got to figure out our own path. And as they kept living in that mindset, pretty soon they accepted that's all there was. This aloof God of our fathers, but not really involved in our life today. And so God comes and he promises to break into their darkness, to show himself to them again. Now, darkness and light are metaphors to them, just like they are to us. They're a sad, scared, oppressed people who knew they were about to lose everything by a power they invited in to come and help them. And even though God said not to, God comes and still offers them hope and joy. Have you ever invited something into your life that turned on you? Something that maybe you even knew, I don't know if this is the right thing, but it seems to be the easy thing, and so I'm going to do this, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work out so well. Something you willingly brought in, this will be the answer to my problems. If I can just have this, oh, I got it, now everything is good. But then it doesn't work. Or maybe it turns into a new bondage, and now you can't quite get rid of it. Look at your life right now. What would you call your darkness? That thing in your life that's not exactly good for you, and yet you kind of brought it in thinking it would help you. That's what this text is about. This text is for you. God speaks into that darkness, to people in darkness, to people in sadness, in bondage, because of something they've brought in and is now harming them. God himself comes and promises powerful light, joy, and blessing. Boys and girls, I don't want you to miss this, so look with me at your verse 2. Here's what God is telling his people. He says, the people living in sadness and expecting to be hurt will be blessed by a spotlight of hope. Boys and girls, I want you to think about the last time the power went out at your house. Or maybe it was just at night and it's dark. And you can't move the light, you can't turn the light on. So as you're walking around your house and your room, maybe you're walking really slow, aren't you? Because you don't want to bump into this. You don't want to slam your foot into this. And so you can't just run around because there's no light. It's dark. It's kind of scary. Well, that's what's going on here. The people in, in Isaiah's day were scared. It was dark. They didn't quite understand what was happening. And so they were moving real slow. And God promises to come, boys and girls, and turn on a spotlight of hope, a spotlight of happiness. He's going to flood the place with light, turn the power back on so you can walk around and enjoy yourself. See, that's what Christmas is about, boys and girls. Isaiah tells us Christmas is about God coming into a dark place and turning the light on and saying, enjoy yourself. Because Jesus, as a baby, breaks into our darkness and brings light. And for all of us, look at what kind of joy this is. And verse 3 tells us it's the joy of a harvest festival. We just went through Thanksgiving, so we kind of understand what that's like. 
This is an incredible joy to them. He promises he will increase them. He promises he will make them happy. He will bless them. He will give them the joy of a harvest festival. That's the ultimate joy in an agrarian community. It's, it's earthy and it's material. That's what I love about it. This is not like, oh, we're all happy. No, this is, we got full bellies. That's what he's talking about. And we know that we're going to have full bellies to continue. We're going to survive. There wasn't refrigeration. There wasn't supermarkets. There wasn't adequate food distribution. You grew it in the summer. You harvested it in the fall. And you looked and said, we're going to live until we can do it again. Praise God. Let's have a party. That's the kind of joy he's talking about. And it comes from God's presence in their life bursting into their darkness. They didn't have to worry. They could have joy because, oh, God's taking care of us for another year. Oh, dear flock, Jesus Christ offers that to you today. You can sit back and go, oh, I don't have to worry about this. God has spoken. God has promised I can let this go. You can have that today. Because he is the presence of God in our life that brings joy. Hear the words of Isaiah. This joy is available to you to shine like a spotlight in your life. You can have it into your darkness, into your sadness. This powerful, poetic grace of our Lord can come and speak joy today if you'll let him. I want to go back to verse 2. I want to look at that little phrase there. It says, those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. We could actually translate that phrase as the valley of the shadow of death. Does that sound familiar? Psalm 23, the King James Version. It's literally the land of the grave or the land of death's shadow. Think about that. God is saying you're walking in the very shadow of death. You are walking right up against the point where catastrophe is happening. I'm going to shine light and darkness and I'm going to fix it into that land of the grave into that death hanging over his people, God shines a spotlight of hope. Oh, do you see, dear Christian, whatever trial it is, whatever's holding you down, whatever it is that's sapping your joy, that darkness that is hurting you, God says he shines a ray of light and drives it away through the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why Christmas is bigger than our whole world. He comes to needy people and he rescues them with his grace. Do you have this joy, this harvest festival joy? Think of it as combining Thanksgiving and Christmas and this time of year your team winning out all the way and going to go to a bowl game and all that joy together. Like, yeah, and you kind of get a glimpse of what they're talking about. God offers that to you today. Do you have that joy in your life? Then no matter what life throws at you, No matter what evil falls on you, no matter what comes and tries to oppress you and keep you in darkness, you have a foundation of joy. Do you have that? You can through Jesus Christ. See, the promise of this passage is is that because Jesus Christ has come, there is available a ray of hope, a light of hope, a spotlight of joy. You can live in that joy when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel. whether it's Jesus as a little baby that first Christmas night or as the resurrected Lord today, Jesus brings joy. And that joy is substantial. It's not just a fleeting emotion. It is real. It doesn't just come and go. It's there and it's permanent and it stays because Jesus brings freedom as he brings joy. Look with me at verse 4. 
says this, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Here he promises to come in and basically breaks the bars of their prison open. He rips off the handcuffs and says, you're free. I'm going to release you from your oppression. Remember, this is very practical. Assyria is looming. They've just gobbled up the ten northern tribes. There's only one real tribe left. There's Judah, and then there's the priests, and there's two tribes, but there's only one land of Judah. Little Jerusalem, tiny little land. We've got, you know, Rhode Island standing against the army of the United States, basically. It's a bad situation. And Assyria was famous, infamous, on how much they tortured and brutalized their captives. This is what was coming. They just saw Assyria do it to their brothers in the north, and now it's coming. They know it's coming. That's why these people were in the land of death's shadow. They were about to be taken away and put into slavery. They were afraid about the future of their country. They were afraid about the future of their children. They were afraid about their personal future. It was a dark time of oppressive fear. Now, many of you today, especially if you're older, you're afraid for the future of your country. You tell me so. I know you are. You're afraid for the future for your children, for your grandchildren. You look around and you see a dark time in your life. And that fear is a burden that weighs you down. It's a trap. That fear is a prison. You see, Christmas is bigger than our whole world. Because the coming of Jesus Christ brings freedom from that prison. It's a bigger freedom, though, than the people in Isaiah's day were thinking about. It's bigger than freedom from Assyria. Because the ultimate oppressor, the ultimate fear is the fear of death itself. The New Testament tells us in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 15, tells us that Jesus Christ came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, we were slaves to death without Jesus Christ. We were oppressed by the fear that it causes. We are prisoners and we need freedom. And Jesus Christ offers that. Boys and girls, look with me at your verse 4. Here's what Isaiah says. Look how hopeful this is. He says this, you will break open their prison doors and stop everyone from hurting them or making them sad. Isn't that a great promise, boys and girls? God says he's going to stop people from making you sad. I want that. hope you want that too. Did, boys and girls, did you ever play freeze tag as a, as a child? I guess you are children, right? Did you ever play freeze tag? They still play that. We played that, you know, 100 years ago when I was a child. Um, you know, yeah, you're, it's not just one person chasing you, but one person tags you, and you've got to stand there, and you can't move. You're like, oh, this is so stupid. It's kind of like being at a stoplight as an adult when no one's there. You're like, there's nothing stopping me, but... Anyway, it's kind of like that for kids, freeze tag, right? And you don't need one of your friends to come up to you and be like, oh, it's kind of lonely here. You can't really have fun. How to stand here and be with us if you're not lonely, right? Okay, that's nice. Do something else. Or, or, hey, so you don't get bored, how about I talk to you while you're here, okay? Is, is that what you need, boys and girls, you're playing freeze tag? No. What do you need your friend to do? Touch you, that's right, who said it, and unfreeze you. That's what Christmas is. Jesus comes down to touch us and set us free at Christmas. I want to go back to that opening story with um, Vernon Todd about the liberation of the concentration camps. 
you realize if the Bible is true, if what it says about us and our state, then the human race are prisoners in a death camp. We are held down by the power of sin. We are mistreated by the devil himself. We are weighed down by the fear of death and we are not free. We long for freedom and we go looking for freedom from anything we think will give us hope that might make us just feel better for a moment. So we invite all these things into our life that end up turning on us and hurting us. But we keep going after those things, don't we? Because we're afraid and we need hope. And in that fear, in that lack of hope, our oppressor comes and and even further pushes down on us to convince us that we, we deserve to be hurt. We don't deserve to be happy. And so we end up hurting others and hurting ourselves because we're trying so desperately to have hope and be happy. Students here this morning, young people, junior high and senior high, many of you know this. Parents, you need to hear this. This is reality. Junior hires and senior hires, this is your world right now, isn't it? You get this. I mean, young men, there is something inside of you that wants beauty to dominate someone weaker and it starts out statistically if you're over 11 you've probably been there starts out dabbling a little bit in porn then it turns into a full-blown addiction and it turns into you thinking that's what young ladies are for parents if you knew the stats on junior high and senior high boys who are absolutely addicted to pornography, it would scare you. And parents of young ladies, if you knew the stats, or if you even just heard the stories of right here in our little town, of the amount of borderline assault and outright abuse that takes place on dating relationships for high schoolers, you would never let your daughter get in that boy's car. Young men, if that is you today, Jesus Christ can set you free. He can set you free from that desire to hurt beauty, and he can set you free from that guilt that is dragging you down and killing you. He can do that. He can release you from that. It's not just the guys, young ladies. Sin is a power in your life as well, isn't it? And it wants to cause you damage. You were inundated fake, photoshopped, airbrushed, perfect bodies on advertisements and in shows and everything else. And you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, I'm fat. I hate myself. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve happiness because I'm not thin. And so you hurt yourself. You starve yourself. You cut yourself. I could name first names of at least three young ladies in this church who as their pastor I know they cut themselves and there's probably more I don't know about this is reality sin wants to hurt you and so what do you do young ladies you it's even worse than that when that boy does try to abuse you when that boy does try to dominate you sometimes this voice inside of you says well you don't deserve to be treated any better and so you let it happen Jesus Christ can come and speak to that He can set you free from that. He can make you feel better about yourself because he can say, I love you. I value you. He can set you free.
See, Christmas is bigger than our whole world because as this Isaiah passage shows, Jesus Christ came into the world as a death camp liberator. What we needed is not an example to show us how to live. What we needed was not someone to show us how to be good and moral people. What we needed was rescue. Jesus Christ comes to bring freedom to those oppressed by the fear of death. Prisoners under the power of sin. He was born into the death camp with us. Then he lived for us. He died for us to free us from our sin. And in his resurrection, he destroyed death. The prison couldn't hold Jesus and it can't hold his people. That is the gospel promise that is available to you if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And so Christmas is bigger than our whole world because Jesus Christ comes to bring us joy, to set us free. And just as those people in the concentration camps longed for freedom, but were too damaged, were too broken, too mangled by their captives to have their freedom immediately, they had to be nursed back to health. So too, what I want you to see is that in Christmas, Jesus Christ brings us health. Look with me at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, God promises to accomplish all those glorious things from verses 2 through 5. He's going to accomplish it through a child. A son who will rule and who will not just be called by these names, but a son who will deserve these titles. I mean, look with me at the, at the theology in this verse right here. First of all, this child is born. That's how real humans come into the world. They're born. This child will be fully human. At the same time, notice the title he will be given as Mighty God. This fully human child will somehow deserve to be called God. I mean, you don't have to go to the pages of the New Testament. You can, it helps. But right here in little old Isaiah chapter 9, we have God and man in two distinct natures, and yet one person coming as our Redeemer. The only man who can bring joy and freedom and health. Have you ever thought about Jesus Christ making you healthy? Have you ever thought about Jesus Christ bringing health? It's a weird way to put it, isn't it? You know, in church world, we tend to overuse certain concepts, and we overuse them so much that they kind of lose their meaning. They almost become like shop talk, where if you're an outsider, you have no idea what we're talking about. Holiness, unfortunately, has become one of those words. I want you to stop and think right now, what really does holiness mean? If you had to explain to your five-year-old or to a five-year-old, what is holiness? Well, I mean, we see from parts of the Bible that the idea of holiness means separate, distinct from. Yeah, think of the Old Testament temple or tabernacle. You had that inner room was called the Holy of Holies, the separated of the separated. There was nothing more separate or distinct from outside than that little room, the Holy of Holies. It's separate, okay? But we also see in the Bible that holiness, what? It means purity, being morally pure, being without fault, without sin, being the epitome of what is good and right. So we've got separate and we've got good or morally pure. And once we get to those definitions, we're kind of stuck, aren't we? 
But there's actually so much more. There's a forgotten definition. It's actually why we use the word holy in English. Holiness carries the idea of being whole. Thus, someone who was whole was, well, he's a holy person. That's why we use the word. It means being complete, not fractured, not disintegrated, but being one. That famous verse from the Old Testament, many of you know, is called the Shema. The, uh, faithful Jews still say it today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's not just a confession of monotheism. In fact, it's not really a confession of monotheism as much as it is a confession that God is holy and that he is whole. He's one. He's unified. He's not disintegrated and fractured. He's got it all together. He's not broken. He's healthy, is what we could say. See, dear flock, holiness is health. Sin is sickness and death. We weren't meant to be in sin. We weren't meant to live under the fear of death. We were made to be holy, pure, separate, and healthy. Think about the Ten Commandments. That's not God saying, no, you better not do this. That's God actually saying, this is how you're healthy. Healthy people don't lie. Healthy people don't steal. Healthy people don't covet. Healthy people don't murder. Healthy people worship the one true God. Healthy people don't worship idols. You see where you're, where, where, how it's a different way of looking at it? The Old Testament mindset captured this idea under, the, under the, the word shalom. Usually we translate it weekly as peace, but it means wholesomeness. It means being whole. And so you see where I'm going with this now, I hope. Isaiah comes and he says, this child who is human and who is God he will be the prince of shalom. He will be the ruler of wholeness. He will be the bringer of health to his people. He comes to give us joy. He comes to liberate us from the death camp, but we need more. We need to be fixed. We need to be put back together. To be made whole and healthy so we can enjoy our freedom. So he can restore us to what we were meant to be. See, Jesus Christ coming as a baby at Christmas is Jesus Christ coming to bring us health. The gospel is not just that Jesus died so you could be set free from your sins and go to heaven, although that's awesome. The gospel is that Jesus Christ has set you free from sin and death. And if you let him over the rest of your life, he will nurse you back to health so you can be the person you were meant to be before you were imprisoned by sin and death. That is why we should read our Bible daily or routinely because it makes us healthy. That is why we should have fellowship among the body because it makes us healthy. That is why we should pray routinely because it makes us healthy. That is why we come to public worship regularly because it makes us healthy. And that is why we will partake of this meal today together because it makes us healthy. The gospel is about our freedom. It's about our joy. And it's about, about our lifelong being made healthy by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Fixing what sin has done to fracture and break us. Oh, Christmas is bigger than our whole world because Jesus Christ coming as a baby is Jesus Christ coming to heal us.
The gospel is about God fixing this world and fixing his people. Oh, hallelujah. He's making all things new. Heaven will come back down, we see at the end of Revelation, and there will be a new healthy people on a new healthy planet in a healthy healed world together with God, and there will be joy, and there will be harmony, and Christmas is a foretaste of that. It's a whiff from the kitchen of what's coming, and that's why it's bigger than our whole world. So Jesus Christ comes to give us joy, to give us freedom, and to give us health. And I want to end with this. I want to end with one challenge. Maybe it's an application. As our country becomes more and more divided, a a common Christian nominalism was kind of what was keeping our country unified. And as that's going away, our country's becoming more, less whole, more disrupted. It no longer pays to be a nominal Christian. The general cultural acceptance of Christian things has gone away, and so culture is less and less welcoming to Christians. And in that atmosphere, it can be very easy for us to slip into an us-versus-them mentality, to see ourselves as the prisoners in the death camp, camp, and to see non-Christians as the guards. Don't do that. The human race is in the death camp. People in darkness are blind They don't see what they're doing. People under the yoke of sin aren't free. They're slaves. And so when we interact with non-Christians, we need to remember that they are blind slaves who don't know any better, and they need liberation. They need the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. They need the health that Jesus Christ can offer them. They don't need our judgment. They don't need our anger. They need our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your prince of peace, as your liberator who gives you joy and freedom and health, introduce someone you care about who doesn't know him that way. Then you can see with your own eyes how Christmas is bigger than our whole world because you'll see Jesus Christ bring joy and freedom and health. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, We thank you for the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ.